0: Uh, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open with me to, uh, the book of Psalms, uh, which will be right in about the, the middle of your Bible. We're going to be looking at Psalm, Psalm 4 today. And, uh, sometimes in, in life, things can change very abruptly, right? Your, your day will change dramatically if you have a flat tire, uh, on the way to work. Uh, suddenly your, your whole schedule is, is thrown off or, uh, a lost or stolen credit card. Uh, on a vacation, and that will dramatically uh, change things as well. Maybe even preventing you from, from getting back home. Uh, and uh, as we've been been looking at the, the book of Psalms this summer, uh, it seems like we're we're hitting an abrupt change uh, right now. As we looked at uh, Psalm three a couple weeks ago and Psalm four uh, this morning, because Psalms one and two seem to promise uh, prosperity, uh, and success. Blessing uh, for those people who lived according to God's word uh, and looked uh, in faith to Jesus Christ, His Son. Psalm one, verse three says this: that He, the righteous uh, man, the, the man who is blessed, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That's great. We saw that a couple weeks ago, say, so, hey, who, who would rather be uh, a tumbleweed, uh, a chaff that is compared to or would you rather be uh, this tree, planted firmly, unmoving, prosperous no matter what the season? That sounds great. And if you look at the end of Psalm 2, the very last line, it says, all who are blessed are all who take refuge in him, speaking of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That everybody who looks to him in faith and takes refuge in him is blessed. And so Psalms 1 and 2 kind of present this this message of this is where blessing and happiness, joy is to be found. And then there's an abrupt change in Psalm 3. Suddenly we see King David, the leader of Israel, the one who is living his life according to God's word and who is looking forward to the coming Messiah, if you look at the, the title of Psalm 3, it says, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So suddenly, uh, there is this change. And we see that there is a tension here uh, in, in the, the psalm book and in our Christian lives. We probably already feel it. That those who, who live according to God's ways will have uh, blessing and favor from God. But there's also going to be difficulties in this life. That it's not always going to be easy. Psalm 3, we saw Absalom, uh, David's son, uh, is leading a rebellion against him. Uh, And David is writing that psalm as he flees for his life, running from the capital city of Jerusalem, unsure of how things are going to transpire. But he, he puts his trust in God and he prays to God in the middle of that difficult circumstance. And as we come to to Psalm 4, we're not sure of the setting of this Psalm. It could be the same as uh, Psalm 3. It could be that David is running for his life, or it could be something different. And it seems that in in Psalm 3, David is, is crying out to God because he is in physical danger. He says, Lord, I need physical deliverance from my enemies right now. But in Psalm 4, David seems to be crying out to God regarding something else. He's not facing imminent physical danger, but he is under the verbal assault of others. He's being slandered uh, and attacked. So what is he to do? And, and this is a situation that we can all readily identify with. See, injustice is a, is a common experience uh, around the world of all people. You may not have uh, experienced someone slandering you yet, but just give it time. We all will at one point or another. It's just a matter of time before somebody speaks poorly of you or spreads lies about you. And that's what David is facing here. And that's what we will begin to see this morning as we look at Psalm 4. What? How should we respond when people slander us? And sometimes people just speak out against others. It's part of our, our natural tendency as, as sinful human beings. We have a. Sometimes we have a desire to build ourselves up. We do that by boasting. But when you hear somebody boasting, how do you feel? It kind of becomes obvious. You're like, why is this guy doing this? So another option, rather than building ourselves up, is if we level everybody else around us, if we tear everybody else down, it's the same net result. I can build myself up, or right? if I tear everybody else down, who's still tending, standing taller? Me. So slander is going to be a, a, a common experience of all of us. Uh, In ancient Greece, there was a a citizen of Athens who was asked why he had voted for the condemnation of a man named uh, Aristides. And Aristides was known as the just. He was one of the most outstanding statesmen that the nation had produced. And the the citizen replied, he says, I voted against him simply because I was tired of hearing him called the just. Just got tired. Hey, I'm tired of hearing this uh, person spoken about so highly. So he began to slander him. What are we to do in in those types of situations? What do we do when we have done no wrong but we are suffering unjustly? And I mean that of what we've done no wrong. There's a difference between persecution and prosecution. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted when we're really being prosecuted, when, uh, when we've done something wrong. But but in this situation of what we're going to see in Psalm 4. David has done nothing wrong, that he is truly being persecuted and being lied about, that there is no truth in the slander that is being spoken. So how are we to respond when others are speaking out against us? And in Psalm 4, we're going to see a solution. It's going to offer a, a type of therapy, so to speak, and that therapy is going to be prayer. Turning to the Lord in prayer. What we're going to see is this experience of injustice. Oftentimes when we experience injustice, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to to run away from God, to go and and do our own thing and say, God, if you're allowing this to happen, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. But what we're going to see in this psalm is that the experience of injustice should drive us closer to the Lord. It shouldn't drag us away from him. And ultimately what we're going to see is that how David responded when he was attacked and, and slandered against. And, and what is key is to notice where David begins in this psalm and where he ends. Uh, the, the focus is upon the movement uh, of how he transitions from his initial thoughts, his initial distress and in crying out to the Lord, and where he ends. And that's what I want to draw your attention to. The big picture of this psalm is what is most important. But as we're going to, to look at this, uh, we're going to see three movements uh, in this psalm uh but before we before we dive into those uh three movements uh, of what is it we're referring to when we talk about slander again some, slander is something that we we often experience but sometimes we are also guilty of which we will also talk about this morning so in in defining slander we say that slander is speaking in a manner that tarnishes the reputation of another again you you're you're tearing others down to defame someone through the spreading of false information. Slander was was prohibited in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verses 16 through 18 say, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, and that word for slanderer in that first part of that passage is the idea of being a tail bearer. And when you think of a tail bearer, who do you immediately think of? I think of that elementary school kid. Uh, what do we call that elementary school kid who always is coming and telling the teacher what everybody else is doing? A tattletale, right? And, and that's the idea. Uh, the, this tattletale is ready to to come and announce to anybody who will listen the business of everybody else. Hey, they're doing this; they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and parents and, and teachers, what do we what do we rightly do to that child? We we take them alongside, and say, Hey, you don't need to do that. But suddenly, when that person is an adult, we don't necessarily call them a tattletale, but but Scripture would say that that person is a slanderer; that they are going around and and being a tale bearer. Of carrying news that doesn't necessarily need to be disseminated to everybody. In uh, in her book uh, Adorned, which the ladies are reading through this summer, Nancy uh, Demoss Walgemuth uh, gives three descriptions of of what slander can involve. Number one, she says slander can involve giving a false report. Now you could make something up about somebody and then pass it on. Slander can also involve the spreading of harmful information, of just information that it. Uh, just, you're just c- continuing to pass it along uh, to others. And then slander can include the reporting of truth with harmful intent. So sometimes we can pass things along that people don't need to know, ends up tearing people down. And sometimes we can pass things along with the desire of hurting somebody else. Uh, we can we can spread rumors and uh, false information, or information that we don't even know if it's true or not true, passing it along. And, and like I said, there's going to be a movement here in this psalm. Now, David's going to, to transition from from one attitude to another, but what's key is, just like in what we saw in Psalm 3, is his theology, what he believed about God is what, what held him fast in his difficulties, now, in his trials, in his circumstances. What he, he knew to be true is what anchored his soul, and that is what we must keep in mind here this morning. Well, let's begin to look at these, these three movements of David's mindset in uh, this trial of people slandering him. And it begins uh, in, in verse one, movement number one, that we see an urgent cry for help in distress. Read along with me. We'll begin in the title of the psalm. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. It says, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And we see that David begins, where's the first place that he turns in the middle of his distress? When others are speaking against him, what's the first thing that he does? He turns to the Lord in prayer. Now, we, we read Hebrews 4 uh, and how, how amazing is the end of that chapter that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can have confidence to bring every care and every worry, every concern to Jesus Christ because of what he has accomplished for us. And that is exactly what David does. He cries out to God. There's, there's three requests in this first verse. He says, answer me when I call. He said, God, when I, when I cry out to you, please give a response. He also says, be gracious to me. The idea, the idea of, of showing favor, showing compassion, which is kind of interesting when you feel or when you think about it. Uh, of David is being sinned against in this moment. So why does he need grace? Why does he need mercy? Why does he need God to withhold something from him? Well, David comes to the Lord and is praying, understanding his own sinfulness before God. David still needs the grace of God even as he lifts up uh, this prayer uh, about other people attacking him. Does God still continue to extend grace to him? And then his third petition is, hear my prayer. And the idea is not just, God, hear my prayer, but hear it and do something about it. Hear and respond. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I heard you, and then do nothing. But the implication is crying out to God, calling for him to respond to all that he says. And in between these three requests are are two reasons that David has confidence to make these requests. He says, answer me when I call, oh, God, of my righteousness, see, see the first reason that he looks to God with confidence is his relationship with him. He says God I have a relationship with you, He says, "You are the God of my righteousness, meaning that God is the source and the provider of David's righteousness. David's saying, "Hey, I don't have any righteousness of my own. I'm not this great and grand person. Uh, he's saying, "God, you are the one who has made me righteous." And David's logic here if you, if we follow along with it he's saying hey god if if you are the god of my righteousness if you if you are the one who has made me righteous and and forgiven my sins if you are that god you're not going to abandon me you're not going to forgive me and then send me off to fend for myself what god has begun he will continue and david is basing his prayer on the relationship that he now has with god forgiven and made righteous he, he now has a, this great relationship with his heavenly father and that gives him confidence that that god will hear his urgent request and the second reason that that david has confidence in the lord he says you have given me relief when i was in distress david looks to the past he says hey god i i looked at your track record of how you have been faithful to me uh, and how you have delivered me in difficult times in the past. And there's kind of a, a hidden word picture in in this verse. Because that word for uh, relief is that you have given me relief is the idea of making wide. God, you've you've given me space. And that word for distress is literally the idea of narrowness. So what what David is saying is God, I look at your track record and you have given me space in narrow places. Uh, in in 2017, there was a motorcycle accident in, in Orange County, California, where uh, a motorcyclist had somehow slid underneath a T- Toyota Sienna. If you think about that, so we have the motorcycle and the motorcyclist trapped underneath the vehicle. You know, emergency services are immediately called, but what's happening while emergency services are on the way? This man is trapped with the full weight of the vehicle upon him. And what was amazing and, and very uh, much a blessing to this motorcyclist is there was a, a car mechanic who was passing by, and he immediately got out of his car, grabbed his, his car jack and, and some blocks of wood, uh, and jacked up the, the car and then rested it upon these blocks of wood. And what did, he, what did that mechanic immediately do for that man? That man is in a tight space, and, he, and this mechanic gave, widened it out for him. Hey, And that is that is exactly what God does for us. In narrow spaces, when we are caught, when we are trapped, God makes a way, he gives us more space to make it through our trials and our circumstances. And David was confident that God could do that because he had done it in the past. And, and notice that the two reasons that David gave that, that would give him confidence, th- those two reasons aren't just something that's unique to David but they are common to every single believer. Every single person who's placed their faith in Christ can have those same two reasons to be confident that God will hear and respond to our prayers. Number one, that David was confident, again, because of his relationship with God. He was the God of his righteousness, and you know what? He is the God of our righteousness. If we have acknowledged our inability to save ourselves, if we've acknowledged our sin before God and placed our faith and trust in Christ alone, then he is the God of our righteousness. We have a relationship with him. He's the one who makes us legally righteous and now we are in right standing. He doesn't make us perfect in this life. We still need grace. We still need mercy. But he is the one who makes us spotless and guiltless in his eyes because of what Jesus has done. And that gives us confidence that, hey, if God's going to save us, he's going to now treat us as his children. He adopts us into his family and he will hear our prayers. And then secondly, we can also be confident because of, again, God's past deliverances. If you guys haven't already, I would encourage you just to, to get a journal and, and put it aside. And whenever God provides in a in a providential way, but unexpected way, just write it down. Just begin to have those stories of, wow, look at how the God, I had no idea what was going to happen in this circumstance, but God suddenly, out of nowhere, provided for me and my family. Just write that down. What a blessing that will be to your children. To your own soul, years from now, do you go back and look at the track record that God has of caring for you and providing for you? And that's, in essence, what David has in all of these psalms. And he's writing down, look at the faithfulness of God and how he has delivered him in the past. And we can gain hope from what God has done in the past He will continue into the future. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is what God has begun; He will continue. We can be sure of that. That can give us confidence in our prayers. And so David then moves from from addressing God in verse one. And he turns to a unique place. Who is it that we typically don't want to talk to uh, if somebody is slandering us? We don't want to go and talk to the slanderers. Some of us may we want to get into a battle with him or a fight, get into an argument. And it's interesting what David does here is he turns from God and then he begins to address those who are slandering him. And he seeks to give them instruction. And we see that in our second movement in verses 2 through 5. David gives an instruction offered to those who slander. Read along with me. He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So as David uh, David begins to address uh, those who are slandering him and speaking out against him, the first thing that he does is is he describes their character you know, of those who slander. What is it that they love? Vain words. They seek after lies. He asks, how, how long uh, will my honor be turned into shame? How long will you continue to attack me? And that that idea of seeking there, it's its emphasized in the Hebrew. That these people who are spreading lies about David, uh, they are seeking, searching for ways that they can destroy his reputation. They are looking for ways to attack him. And then we saw that little word at the end of verse 2. We saw it a couple times in in Psalm 3. That little word, Selah, that David is drawing our attention and he wants us to to read that and then pause and reflect and think about what is, how how severe, if David wants us just to pause and say, look at all of that they are doing, that they are searching for ways. Some of you may have had that of somebody who just really didn't like you. And they went out of their way to do you harm, not like, hey, if it's, if, kind of along what they're doing but no they're 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 going out of their way they're putting time and energy and forethought into how they can be destructive and how they can attack you that is what is david is experiencing right now and then verse three who says hey how long are you gonna love lies and seek after lies and then he he tells them something he wants them to know and understand something he says, but no that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And so what David is pointing to is, is David was made king, not through his own efforts. David wasn't the uh, the son of the, the previous king. No, he was a shepherd. He was a little shepherd boy. David was made king by God. And within that, he's saying, in David's logic, if God has placed me here, and God wants me here. No matter what the slanderers say, God still hears and will answer my prayers. That is David's logic. He wants these slanderers to understand that no human can remove God's grace. No human can can remove God's favor upon an individual, no matter what others say. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. And if God's against us, it doesn't matter who's for us. Uh, that's, that's in essence, David's logic. And he's addressing his enemies. And, and while he's saying this to his enemies, he's I think he's kind of realizing, oh, hey, wait, that's, that's true. And what he was crying out to God for in verse 1, what is he now sure of? In verse 3, he's crying out to God, Lord, please hear my prayer. When I call to you, answer. And now, what is he telling the, those who are slandering him? hey, when, when I pray, God answers. He hears me when I call. So at the same time as uh, as David is instructing uh, and reciting truth to those who need to hear it, what is he also doing to his own soul? He's encouraging and instructing himself as well. His original prayer has now become his, his confidence. So verse 2, it shows... What what are these slanderers? What is it that they love? Verse 3 says, hey, you need to know and understand this. And then verses 4 and 5, he rattles off all of these instructions to them. And instructions that we need to to make note of. There's there's six instructions and three pairings. And he first he says, be angry and do not sin. And you're like, well, how do I do that? Because isn't anger a sin? So what is David saying here? Well, the the idea of, of that word for angry is the idea of, of trembling or shaking in place. Right? And it can be sometimes used to describe somebody who's shaking in anger, and sometimes it can be used to describe somebody who's shaking in fear. You know, I think there's a little bit of a, a double meaning, a play on words here. That David is saying, hey, you can you can be angry internally, but don't act on it. Don't do that. You can you can tremble with rage, but don't sin by beginning to act and, and carry out your emotions. I think that's one aspect of what he's saying. And that's what the Apostle Paul uh, uses. Uh, he quotes this passage in Ephesians 4.26. It says, be angry and do not sin. But I think there's a double meaning of w- tremble with fear before a holy God. Now That's also a motive not to sin. Of understand uh, when you're about to go and slander others. That you stand before a holy God who is aware of all that you say, all that you do. His word is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our souls. And that is the emphasis here of the idea of be be careful on how you proceed from this point onward. Say, hey, if you're going to be angry, beware of sinning. And instead of passion and anger, where you vent to everybody else, David then instructs them to do something else. So, hey, be angry. Don't sin. And then the next pair, he says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. It kind of says, Hey, go to your room. Go go to your bed, go lay down, calm down a little bit. Now, and there's some wisdom to that. I think it's hey, go go and be by yourself and think about all that's that's brewing up inside. Go and think about it, but be silent. See, what's our temptation? What is it we want to do when somebody is slandering us? And when we feel attacked, what do we what do we want to do? Feels like there's a steam pressure cooker in our in our insides. And what do we want to do? We want to go vent to somebody. And when somebody somebody slanders against us, we end up going and doing what? Telling somebody else, and we end up slandering that person who's slandering us. And it becomes this vicious cycle. So what David is saying is, hey, don't go and speak to others about it. Don't go and create a firestorm of gossip that can ruin lives. Go be on your own, ponder in your heart, and be silent. And then again, we see that, that Selah word. If David says, hey, pause and reflect on that. Go ponder and think about that, that that's the right response. Sometimes one of the most godly things we can do is be quiet. Just don't say anything. But sometimes when we're silent, we can end up rehearsing those offenses. Sometimes in our silence and in our quiet, we just, we get on, uh, uh, remember a long time ago, there was the CDs, uh, and you could hit the, the track repeat button over and over again. Sometimes when we sit in silence by ourselves, we can think about things, but we think about the wrong things, that we just rehearse other people's sins against us. And, and again, the net effect is Bitterness that steam pressure cooker within our own hearts. And that's why the the third pair of instructions that David gives. So he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And then verse 5, he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. The idea is literally sacrifice sacrifices of righteousness. See, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were they were sometimes ritualistic. Everyone, everyone loves to read Leviticus, right? All of those rituals. Okay, if you're going to do this sacrifice, here's how you do it. You have all of the specific instructions. Well, there was a specific ritual for each sacrifice, but then there was also a right heart that you were called to make a sacrifice with. And you could go through the ritual, but it, the sacrifice could be empty because there was no heart behind it. There was no heart of faith, no heart of repentance as you come to the Lord uh, and offer something to him. And David's point here is that when you are angry and thinking things over to yourself, make sure you come with the right heart. Make sure you come with a heart of humility, with a heart of repentance. Sometimes in those quiet moments, we never ask the question of, hey, is there any truth to what they're saying? Do I have anything wrong in this? We're just assuming that everybody else is wrong and sinful and that we are always in the right. But we need to approach it with humility. And if I could kind of paraphrase what he's saying in verse 5 there, yeah, begin to think and act according to God's will instead of your own desires and emotions. Place your trust in the Lord. Look to Him in faith. Don't just look to your own wisdom and your own solutions. And entrust yourself to the perfect justice of God. And These instructions that David offers they are they're given to his enemies they're given to, to to those who are slandering him, but these these instructions are helpful to anybody who's in conflict anytime we experience conflict because sometimes we are the ones slandered, and sometimes we are the slanderer. sometimes we are the punching bag, and sometimes we are the boxer, right? and sometimes we like to go and get into verbal boxing matches. With others, where we just slander one another back and forth. And I would venture to say that most of us have more experience as boxers than as punching backs. That we have a, a, a greater, uh, level and skill of going and slandering others than experience of being slandered. Because the, the tongue is dangerous. We have to be careful about what we say. Have you guys been hearing about the, uh, the fires? That are that are raging in Northern California right now. We have several several families from Northern California that are uh, from the Redding area, and uh, one family who, who's actually down there right now. That they, they moved up here last November, but the house that they sold and lived in, so their their kids grew up in that home, was burned to the ground. See, see fire is is devastating. Somebody said this morning that 570 homes have been lost in that Redding fire. Fire is utterly destroying anything that it touches is gone and we have to be careful of what we say because scripture says that our tongue is a fire that we can set things ablaze like that and devastation and fire is not easy to control and once you say something and speak it you can't bring it back you can't say oh let me let me just erase that from the record that can that can hurt people deeply Listen to what James says about the, the tongue, about our speech. James 3, verses 1 to 6. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that the, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And what is the teacher always doing? He's using his, his tongue. He's always speaking. Says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. See, we have to understand that. When, when you see all of these, these raging wildfires, on the news and you see the devastation that they create, we have to say, wow, that is what we can do with our tongues if we are not careful. So not only should we see these instructions that David offers to, to his opponents, those who are speaking against him, but these are instructive to, to our hearts. Again, Paul quotes this verse in Ephesians 4. See, David is, is speaking to slanderers, but then Paul says, hey, Christians, listen to this. Be angry and do not sin. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We must be aware. And when we are tempted to slander, we need to follow those three pairs of instructions. Hey, be angry, but, but don't sin. Be angry in your heart. And yes, that's still sinful. We need to, to confess that to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, but, but keep it there. Don't go and act on it and, and start that blaze. Because once it starts, it goes out of control. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Go be alone. Go pray to the Lord. Turn to Him and offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In that same passage that that Paul quotes this uh, in, in Ephesians, he also says this at the... Is Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That is how we are supposed to speak. Not, not slandering others, not tearing them down, but building them up. And I would always use that illustration when I was working with elementary school kids. You know, the recess, words fly fast and quick. Uh, and it would come up, oh, so-and-so said this to me. Said, okay, let's talk about this. And I always just say, hey, are you, are your words, are they, are they a wrecking ball coming in to destroy people and lay them low? Or are they building other people up? Are they encouraging, loving, kind? Which one are they doing? And the kids always got that and understood that. They understand wrecking balls. And they could picture that in their minds. And that's what we have to understand. David instructs his enemies and he instructs us. And after instructing those who speak against him, David returns once more to God in the remaining verses, verses 6 through 8, which is going to be where where David ultimately moves to. He begins crying out to the Lord, then he instructs his opponents, and as he instructs his opponents, he gets himself back on track. And look at where he lands in verses 6 through 8. The peace and joy found in God alone. Read along with me. It says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? lift up the light of your face upon us o lord you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound in peace i will both lie down and sleep for you alone o lord make me dwell in safety so in these verses david is going to going to show us a comparison he's going to contrast two attitudes so verse, verse 6, there are many who say, those who are slandering against him, and, and what is their desire? There's many who say, who will show us some good? And the idea is there, they're saying, hey, who, who's gonna do something good for me? Who's, who's gonna give me a benefit? That's what their desire is. And it, again, uh, out of the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? The mouth speaks. So what is it they're revealing? Their greatest desire is for physical comfort, tangible benefit. And then they say, Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. And That's their prayer, but, what, but their prayer is focused upon the, the tangible, the physical. They want physical things from God, asking for his favor and his blessing. God's face is synonymous with his blessing. When they say, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, they're pointing back to a blessing that, that Aaron, the first high priest in Israel, was commanded by God to say to Israel. Numbers 6, 25, and 26, very famous passage. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They say, hey, let me echo that blessing upon myself, but asking for for physical blessings from the Lord. That is their desire. But notice what David contrasts that with. To Say, this is what what they want, but Lord, you have... Put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So even though the 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 world around them, these slanderers, they want physical blessings from God, but but David is saying, I have experienced a supreme spiritual joy and peace from you, Lord, even greater than what they can experience with wine and grain. Even when they're they're partying and living it up, I have a greater joy, a greater satisfaction in you. And he's saying this even in the midst of everybody lying about him. Even when others are slandering him, he says, I have more joy, more peace in my heart than they have in their greatest seasons of celebration. And then in verse 8, David says, in peace... I will both lie down and sleep. And that echoes what he, what he wrote in Psalm 3. If you look at Psalm 3, verse 5, because I lay down and slept. And we talked about that last week of one of the greatest blessings that God gives to his people is, is rest. We can entrust all of our worries, all of our cares to the Lord. And it's one thing to lay down when you have a whole lot on your mind. And what usually doesn't happen if if your mind just starts to go, hey, you don't sleep. You can lay down. You can attempt to sleep, but you're not sleeping. But David says, no, I laid down and I slept. There was peace. There was restfulness. Because he understood that last statement in this psalm. Because for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. David's saying, hey, comfort is not found in food or wine, in possessions, in your house. God alone is the one who causes us to dwell in safety. And in him alone, we can have peace, joy, comfort. And it, his peace, his comfort that he supplies to his people is so great that it drowns out all of the slanderous voices around us. It drowns out all of our other trials and difficulties, no matter what your neighbors are saying, or people at work are saying, or your family members. You can have peace. You can have rest, comfort, joy. But it's only found in God alone. During the, the English Reformation, things changed rapidly uh in the country as uh, Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, so he broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. So the, the, the nation goes from Roman Catholic to Protestant, basically like that. And he establishes the, the nation as a Protestant nation, and uh, when Henry VIII dies, his son, very young, uh, King Edward, uh, becomes uh, assumes the throne. But Edward died very young. He didn't rule for very long and his half sister mary ends up coming in and taking the throne uh, and and mary was not protestant she was roman catholic and as soon as she comes in and takes the throne things change back and suddenly those people who were were ministers of the gospel in in england are now enemies of the church and enemies of the crown and queen mary began to be known as bloody mary because of all of the martyrs that she she made out of Protestants. People were killed for their faith. One of those martyrs was named Nicholas Ridley. He was the Bishop of London under King Edward, and as soon as Mary came to power, he was arrested and given opportunities to recant. He says, hey, you sure you believe this? It'll cost you your life. You sure you believe this? And he says, yeah, absolutely. And on the night before, he was to be burned at the stake for his faith. His brother came and visited him. He said, "Hey, I want to be with you. Your your last hours here. Your last night here on the on Earth." And Nicholas Ridley said, "Oh no, you know what? I'm just going to be by myself. I'm, I'm going to. I need to get a good night's sleep." That's what he said. He turned his brother away. And said, "Hey, I'm going to rest well." See, Nicholas Ridley, even though he was going to be burned alive and executed the next day, he could. He could have peace and rest, comfort and joy because he knew that he most of all needed to entrust himself to the Lord. He understood that the Lord alone causes us to dwell in safety and that whatever the Lord brought into his life, the Lord would carry him through. Pretty amazing testimony. There is a great comfort and joy to be received from the Lord, greater than any comfort and joy and security that the world has to offer. And we can entrust ourselves into the mighty hand of God, the all-powerful hand of God. We can entrust ourselves to him. And there, in his hand, trusting in his sovereignty, we can have sleep rather than sleeplessness. We can have peace rather than anxiety and this morning what we've seen is is David move from distress to absolute comfort absolute peace and many of us would like to experience that we we have distress we have anxiety in our lives sometimes it's it's from people speaking out against us sometimes it's for other reasons but we see this movement in this psalm of david and again his resounding conclusion that peace and safety are only found in God alone is, is built upon his theology. It's built upon the truths that he was absolutely convinced of before the trials hit. And that is what led to his movement of his, his affections of his thinking. And he was absolutely rooted and built upon who God said that he was. And what God said about him. Not what everybody else was saying about him, but what god said about it thomas jefferson once uh, went into a into a baltimore hotel asking f- to stay for a night and the, the hotel owner kind of gave him a quick up and down uh and thomas jefferson was was caked in mud he'd been out working and the hotel owner's like nah, we don't have a room for you sir and thomas jefferson asked one more time and he was denied one more time he says all right so thomas jefferson got on his horse and left and Immediately thereafter, uh, one of the friends of the hotel owner comes running in and says, "That was Thomas Jefferson, the vice President." Imagine how that hotel owner felt? Pretty embarrassed. But also notice that what that hotel owner thought of Thomas Jefferson didn't change who Thomas Jefferson was. See that hotel owner can think that Thomas Jefferson is a, is a dirty farmer, all that he wants, but who is Thomas Jefferson?" he's the vice president and we need to keep some of those things in mind when others are slandering us no matter what other people say no matter what they're calling you no matter how they're attacking your character we need to understand who god says that we are we belong to him and again the the words of others they hurt they they sting right but they don't fundamentally change our relationship with the Lord. Nothing can change that. One pastor said that the weapon against slander is to remember how God regards you, to hold on to what he has said about you. And we have to hold on to that. We have to know and we have to have a confidence of how does the Lord regard me? When God looks at me, what does he see? See, in our natural state, we are all sinners. So when God looks upon us, it is sobering. Again, Hebrews uh, four says, "All we are all naked and exposed to Him, to whom we must give an account." That is sobering to think about. That if if we are in our sin, then we are separated from God. But if we place our faith in Christ and Christ alone, God's regard for us changes completely and utterly see if we confess ourselves as sinners and in need of god's grace god i i need your grace be gracious to me you are the god of my righteousness when we say that and begin to have that attitude there's an exchange that takes place jesus takes our sin and we get his righteousness so then when god looks at us and how he regards us is no longer as a sinner in rebellion against him but as a son as a daughter who's been brought into his family And now has a relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what we are to to hold fast to. How God regards us because of our faith. Not because we've deserved it. But because of his love and his mercy. This psalm is is known as, as an evening psalm. Because of the way that it ends. And at one point in your life or another... You are going to have a need for a psalm like this in your life. It may be a day, again, when you are attacked and you're just feeling miserable and and, and puny and, and horrible, condemned. And you need to come back to these truths. That God has called you, saved you, justified you. And if he has done all of that, he's not going to then abandon you. We must remember that God is always faithful. And may he be the one that we find joy, peace, and safety in, because he alone can provide it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you to worship and praise you. Lord, to acknowledge our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own need for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would use this psalm to instruct our hearts. Lord, that we would guard our tongues from slandering others. That we would be angry and yet not sin. That we would ponder in silence all that comes to pass and then ultimately turn to you in worship and adoration and trusting ourselves to you. And Lord, when we are slandered against, when people speak out unjustly and undeservedly against us. What I pray that you would teach us to depend upon you. That in the same way that David first turned to you, that we would do that as well. We wouldn't run to others. We wouldn't run to any other source of comfort, but we would run to our Savior, the only one who can give us peace, the only one who can give us joy and rest in the middle of difficult circumstances. Lord, teach our hearts what that looks like. Increase our faith that in the moment when our trials seem so big that you seem bigger. And Lord, may you help us to walk faithfully before you, guarding our tongues, our hearts, and our minds, and living to your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.